goes in. It's the money that comes out. <laughs> and we are rolling. Do we, we eat that? <laughs> we got that on tape. Words to live by. <laughs> As promised, this episode will be Gabe running the show and me questioning him about... The analytics are going to suck for this episode. <laughs> That'll be actually really great because not no a lot of people... likes the Gabe episodes. Not a lot of people have seen this one yet. What? <laughs> That's like having Andy Richter host the Conan show. <laughs> No one's going to watch it. I I look at you as an equal, man. I don't know what you're talking about. You're, I think your voice actually, in my opinion, is more valuable than mine. What? Yeah. Ask anybody and they'll hear a different story. I, I really disagree. <laughs> the sound I, I of th- my voice. I think your opinions are better. The muscles are bigger. <laughs> I think your your voice is more cohesive. Your statements are more cohesive. I ramble into, into strange You're places. more articulate and intelligent sounding. That's not true. I color outside of the lines often eat my shorts <laughs> we live in a society <laughs> let's talk about what you saw what did you see this weekend well steven while you were seeing musicals with your family i well thanks to you got involved in a pre-screening of pta's new picture his ninth feature film i think called licorice pizza pta being paul thomas anderson himself as opposed to Paul W.A. Anderson of the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, with a very different uh, catalog of films. <laughs> but yeah, this is this is Paul Thomas Anderson's most recent film. Everybody will know him from There Will Be Blood, Boogie Nights. Magnolia, uh, yeah. The Master, which is a huge one. Probably one of the most esteemed filmmakers of the turn of the millennium into the 21st century. He also did uh, Punch Drunk Love. And then he he more recently did Inherent Vice and Phantom Thread, uh, of which I liked neither. Um, they were fine. In- Inherent Vice was inane. Inane. Uh-huh. I don't think we've ever said that word on the podcast. Well, it was. It's a good word. But what does it mean? <laughs> it means pointless or brainless. And then Phantom Thread was okay. I liked that one more. But in the end, I was just like, all right, why did I watch this? I like PTA. I'm not hardcore PTA fanboy. I've only seen probably half of his films, um, but I'm a fan of his work. So I also like him, which is why I've seen almost all of his stuff, except, when, when except you, Boogie Nights. Like you said, I haven't seen that. Yeah, apparently that's like the, the best. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Um, One day. But when you told me there was a pre-screening of this, I figured I had to get a ticket. <laughs> this movie has looked to me like uh, it will be amazing. And I have been very excited to see it for a long time. And I just, for a lot of reasons, it looks like slice of life. That's what it is. There it is. You've nailed it. It looks, it looks like a slice of life about, uh, two young people. Uh, one of them being Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Yes. Named Cooper Hoffman in real life. His first acting credit. Yeah. And it's so, it's so weird to me that he would, I mean, I mean, I get it because Philip Seymour Hoffman you know, was a beloved man and actor, and he Paul Thomas Anderson worked with him a few times. So it would it's interesting that he like maybe reached out to him. But yeah, I think I was reading that he came to Cooper with the script and asked him if he wanted to be involved, and Cooper, with some hesitation, said yes. He's like, I'd be interested in doing this with more details, and and now he's here. I don't know if he'll keep acting, but even if he doesn't, this was an incredible first foray into the industry for him. I was a big fan. His character, Gary Valentine, is, along with Alana Haim's character, the driving force. Haim. Haim? Haim? Haim. Haim. Yeah. Haim? Haim. Streisand? (laughs) Streisand. (laughs) 
yeah, their relationship is is the center of this film. So yeah, and that was the other part is Hayam is a really well renowned band of three sisters made up of three sisters, all of which were in the film. Were they really? Yeah, Al- oh. Elena, Alana, Alana probably. Alana's whole family is in this film as Elena? her family. At least I'm not sure about her mom, but oh, her, interesting. Her dad and her sisters were her dad and her sisters in this film, and it was hilarious. Yeah, they've been this indie rock band that have just been gaining more popularity and traction. Most woke young kids would know who they were. They're Grammy nominated, right? Probably. And I know that PTA works a lot with them in music videos and stuff like that. And him and his wife, Maya Rudolph, are friends of the family, I think. Oh, makes sense. Who was in this movie as well? Bit of a cameo. Oh, nice. Wait, Paul Thomas Anderson's married to Maya Rudolph? Yeah. What? What a power couple. What in the world? Yeah. Uh, this movie was... was. How was this movie? <laughs> it's very interesting. Like you said, it is in fact like a slice of life kind of film. It basically takes place over the course of a year or less. In 1973 in the San Fernando Valley, Gary Valentine is a 15-year-old kid at high school. <laughs> a child actor who is having difficulty still finding work, I think, as the film goes on. But he meets and basically falls head over heels right off the bat for Alana's character, who's Alana in the film. That's her name. Oh. And she's 25. She's like kind of still figuring out her life. She's working at the time for like a wig company or something. She's helping take high schoolers pictures. And they kind of hit it off weirdly at first. And there is an age gap. Yeah, 10 years. (laughs) In in real life. Yeah. Cooper Hoffman is what you said, like 15 or 16. Yeah. I think he's only 16 or 17 now. So he would have been the appropriate age during shooting. And then Alana. She's a few years older even than in the movie. So she's like almost 30 now. I think. Oh, wow. Interesting. I don't know if those numbers are perfect, but, but yeah, that, that age discrepancy is a, is a plot point. And so she's like, I don't think we can do this, you know, me seeing you because you're a kid essentially. And so they're not really boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't think they even like kiss until the end of the film. I guess we're uh, we're at spoilers territory now. This movie is basically about the ins and outs of their relationship and all the crazy antics they get into over that time span. And there are many crazy antics to be had in this film. I could easily separate this film into, and it's over two hours. It's like 20 minute story blocks and each section of the film just kind of gets more crazy, I guess, than the last. Does it have tit- like titles or title cards that pop up and delineate between those story blocks? I don't think so. Okay. No. Which is funny because I just saw The Green Knight again and they did that. <laughs> but it's very easily recognizable that this is what it's doing. Uh, it's really not clear. You're not sure what the movie, what path it's going to take until like halfway through the film because you feel like you've already sat through a two-hour film like halfway through the movie. Okay. You When you get to like Sean Penn and Tom Waits, I, l- I looked at my phone. I was like, holy, I've only been in the theater for 60 minutes. But I felt like it had been a lifetime because they they cram a lot of things happening into this movie. A lot of time mm-hmm. passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very funny. It was really an enjoyable watch. It's very heartwarming. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, That's what I was hoping it would be. Yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, it, it ends happily. Okay. Um, like I said, Alana and, and Gary... They grow apart. Like I said, he's a an actor, but he's also an aspiring entrepreneur. And the film, a couple of the beats revolve heavily around him and his crazy business. Mind. <laughs> attempts. Mindedness. Yeah. So like at one point, he's like, for like a chunk of the film, he's selling waterbeds. 
and he brings in <laughs> Alana into that, and his he he brings his friends into that. This this ragtag crew of middle school and high school boys that I call the Lost Boys yeah. that just are in the vicinity for the whole film. Sure, sure. And then uh, towards the end, he's like selling pinball machines. What? <laughs> because I guess they were illegal up until '73. Oh, really? Uh, for a, a host of reasons. <laughs> yeah. But it's just crazy. I found myself constantly in the movie, like, while I was enjoying myself, I was thinking, what's happening right now? Mm -hmm. What's, what is actually happening? What is happening? Which is a great reason for calling the movie Licorice Pizza, because it's just like, you will not expect, like, where the movie goes. It's just Uh, sort of like nonsense and... Yeah. Like, when Bradley Cooper pops up in the film, he is just an insane character, and... (laughs) It's just, it's a medley of, of uh, mm. delightfully strange encounters. That's what this film is. Hmm. And so, sounds... but, but every encounter is basically Gary and Alana drifting apart. And then by the end of the story beat, they're coming back together hmm. because they have this indescribable chemistry. This that like, it, yes, no. Yeah. But ultimately it feels like it's their fate to be together. And hmm. that's what they keep coming back to. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. But it was amazing performances, great soundtrack, a lot of music from the time. And it felt like this was Paul Thomas Anderson wanting to pay homage. Once again, he's made a couple other movies in, from the 70s, I think even in L.A. Yeah, I think Inherent Vice was one of them. So he clearly just loves this time period, although this cast was much younger and he wanted to tell that story. I guess he was. the story goes he was trying to write a different movie and he got stuck and he came into this story a story that he'd wanted to sort of tell for a little while and that just became a really natural story for him to write and he ended up making this movie instead of whatever he was doing in its place and so i don't know i feel like it'll be kind of polarizing for movie fans and for for uh potentially pta fans because it is like i don't know if it has as strong of an identity as a lot of his more classic films you know like there will be blood it's hard to reach those heights again. Mm. Mm. But it was fun. And it is as much of a love letter to, in my opinion, movie making as it is to, you know, Los Angeles or to that time. So it's kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things I thought about was that this is kind of like his version of that in a lot of ways. Mm. And um, I know you liked Once Upon a Time a lot. Yeah. So you'll probably like this. But it was it was good. And it, it is refreshing, especially to see uh, not only such young talent, but to have them like just seem like normal people, not only in the performances, but visually, you know, Cooper Hoffman and, and Alana, they're just like, they look like regular people. And it felt nice sure. to be, to step away from the Brad Pitts and the Leonardo DiCaprio's Ooh. and it just like... Shots fired. What? There's no, I'm, no I'm, shots. I'm just messing with you. Not that I'm saying they're <laughs> ugly, but they're very attractive, but it's just like, it felt, it felt very approachable and... Yeah nice Gen- genuine and real yeah and yeah. It, extremely real yeah and yeah not even to speak of like the performances which are very natural mm-hmm. and especially more so because the rest of the side characters are just insane like they're crazy people sean penn and bradley cooper are just caricatures of actual actors or people in real life like oh, okay. bradley cooper plays john peters who was actually based on i mean he is john peters but john peters for reference is the guy that Kevin Smith tells that story about about his Superman script. Oh my gosh. That's John Peters. Really? So imagine that crazy person always having been crazy, but this movie is about him as like a womanizer. 
and he's just he's he's insane. It was that's a funny story. And I I, I feel like PTA heard that, and he's like, I gotta write this guy in. <laughs> and he I guess he checked with John Peters, and John Peters was cool. He's like, Yeah, I would do that in that situation. Yeah. I would creep on this girl. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Like the Sean Penn sequence was ridiculous. Yeah, and um, the movie ends with uh, Benny Safdie of the Safdie brothers as uh, somebody who's running for some government seat. And all these plot beats just keep getting crazier. Like you think it's going to evolve into some kind of massive conspiracy theory because like, Mm. once again, spoilers, Benny Safdie's character is gay. And like, (gasps) uh, there are people who are supposedly like tracking him and you're like, is there going to be some kind of a hit job to finish this movie off? And then it just like drops all that and goes back to Alana and Gary's relationship. And it's like, (laughs) it does that every 20 or 30 minutes in this movie. We're just like, forget about what happened. We're back here. <laughs> and we're going to move into the next thing. I feel like that's very Paul Thomas Anderson, though. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson is like, I don't know. I wouldn't call his storytelling nonlinear, but it's like it's like he doesn't he doesn't obey the rules of normal storytelling. Yeah, he just wanted to. He never does. He wants to do his own thing. Yeah. And that's... He, he's just like, this is all I care about. It's almost like, in my opinion unintentional or purposeless sometimes and i think that's why i struggle sometimes with his movies i'm like why am i watching this i can almost get lost not in a good way like i get lost like i i'm just like i don't care anymore yeah and i think i'm glad you said that actually because that's kind of what i'm trying to get at is that it it that is what's happening here Mm. but we have the emotional core that that aspect of these two young uh, people yeah. that that are recentering you after every crazy thing that happens. I'm so sorry. I feel like this is going to be very polarizing if people listen to this episode and be like, like, cause there's, I know people that are like diehard Paul Thomas Anderson fans. Most PTA fans are diehard. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, he's a genius, a creative genius. And I will go to the grave for him. And I, and I'm like, oh, why? <laughs> why? Why though? Um, cause I, the first movie I ever saw of his, I think, was Magnolia. Have you yeah. ever seen Magnolia? No, but I've heard it's a masterpiece. <laughs> Steven's like rolling his eyes right now. I, I literally like physically shrugged and lifted up my arms. Magnolia, it's again, it just it's just like let me say this. For people that think Paul Thomas Anderson films are masterpieces. This is not including There Will Be Blood because I really do think that that is a masterpiece. I agree with that statement. And The Master or no? Mm. 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 Oh, wow. I It's it's good. I like The Master. But what I'm saying is I feel like his movies are movies you have to, as an audience member, reach out for. And yeah. you have to you have to like do work outside of the film to understand why it's a masterpiece. And that's not work that a lot of people are willing to do do you mean in terms of context anything anything yeah any kind of work like i have to google what the is going on right now i have to google what the hell was paul thomas anderson thinking when he made this movie what is this story actually about you have to do actual grunt work that people don't even like to do in their normal day jobs Yeah, yeah, yeah to figure out why this movie was made or why it was good and I feel like the diehard Paul Thomas Anderson fans are all about that. They're yeah. like, yeah, he's a genius. He's a master. You know, It's that kind of esoteric auteur filmmaking yeah. that, that breeds the diehard fan. But Yeah, exactly. But a lot of other auteur filmmakers, they make something that stands alone and is instantly recognizable as a masterpiece from the moment that you walk out of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, 
you don't need to go do research to understand why that movie's good, why that movie's a masterpiece. It just is what it is. And it stands alone as an auteur work. And so I have a lot of respect for Paul Thomas Anderson diehards. I'm not one of them. I don't think I will ever be. Uh, but I do understand, like I, I get it because when it comes to things that I love, I also love to go do the extra work, the, like learn the extra things. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. When we fall in love with something, we fall in love with it hard and we love to learn as much as we can about it. Yeah. I think you do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. But Paul Thomas Anderson films are just not something that I would do that with because I walk out going, I feel like I just lost like a couple hours of my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, d you know, but I have a feeling that I won't feel that way about licorice pizza. I don't think you will. Yeah. yeah. And if nothing else, because of that emotional core, like you said. Yeah. And I think the heart of most Paul Thomas Anderson films are the performances. And we have those in this movie. So yes. Yeah. I think that's great. And there's never a dull moment and it's very funny. I think I would definitely recommend this to fans of humor. I mean, I, I feel like I recommend it to everybody because it's it's just a fun movie. And it's not like there's nothing in it that's like probably going to turn anyone off other than like the general feeling of the movie walking. Like if you don't like it, it's probably not because you're going to say, I, I didn't like it because of this. It's just like, oh, I didn't really care for the general you know tone of the movie. But I would recommend it. It's, uh, yeah. I'm very curious to see what buzz it'll, it'll drum up come the awards season. Yeah. Because... I feel like it could and also may not. We'll see what happens. But yeah, he's only made like nine movies. It feels like, you know, it's worth checking out his movies when they're, when yeah, they're out there. Sure. So before we play the final song, which I'll have you pick, this podcast is going to be a little bit different and the start of a new format of podcasts that we're going to do in the future when we do these types of things. Because I, I know very confidently that I'm going to see this movie when it comes out. And Gabe, he was able to see this sneak peek. And after we have already released this podcast, I'm going to record my response at the very end of the podcast and attach it to this episode and then re-upload it. Interesting. As so it'll wipe the analytics from yeah i don't care we don't care about analytics right, right, right. interesting but so we should put it on a patreon if you want to hear steven's response you can go <laughs> no we don't have a patreon <laughs> that's really funny what so, um, how are we getting paid <laughs> <laughs> i should be compensated for my art uh i mean but so depending on when you listen to this podcast if you stay tuned till after the song you may hear my response or you may not Depending on, it'll probably be in the new year. And we'll do this going forward whenever one of us sees a movie that the other one has seen, just so we can get the podcast out, and then we'll upload our response later. For, specifically, only for the review episodes. The analysis episodes, we kind of still hold as being a little bit longer, more in-depth. We do more work on those episodes, so... Only for the review episodes. So. Will re-uploading affect the ordering of the, of the no, episodes? No, it doesn't. Anyway, so what song are we playing? Well, honestly, I don't think I recognized any of Johnny Greenwood because apparently he scored this film just like he did everything else this year. But So we'll probably choose something from the soundtrack, probably from the trailer. They used that song. Oh, yeah. And they used it again in the film. It's a good song. It's a, we'll probably put that here. Well, here's David Bowie's Life on Mars. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair but her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen 
Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seats with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a sad thing for For she's lived it ten times or more She could spit in the eyes of fools As they ask her to focus on sailors Fighting in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go It's a freaky show Take a look at the Safety, may I have your attention, please? As promised, this is the first episode where I had aforementioned that depending on when you listen to it, you may hear an addendum where I have watched this movie because when we first initially recorded it, I had not seen it and only Gabe had. So here's the addendum where I have seen it. You're about to hear my thoughts. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Gabe hasn't heard my thoughts, really. Just the single sentence. Like, oh, you liked it a lot. The log line. Yeah, I... Uh, From what I recall, I did not have such a glowing endorsement. It wasn't said, my favorite. You said it was really good, like a really well-made film. <laughs> It From just, what I can remember. Yeah, it just didn't It didn't give me that same buzz, I think, that like most of PTA's other amazing films have. Yeah, I, and to me... I did, to you. This is maybe my favorite PTA film. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, not in a bad way. It's just surprising, I think. Uh, it's just crazy because, you know, it really shows our tastes there, but... But you yeah, often have. I, I don't really like PTA all that much. You and, hate PTA? No, I didn't, I didn't say that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I usually don't like his films as much as everyone else does. Okay. One of the only ones I did like was There Will Be Blood. And so to me, that's the one that it had to beat out. And Licorice Pizza, I think, is as good as There Will Be Blood or maybe wow. my more my personal favorite. And It's big. Okay, so here's a couple things that I remember you saying. And if you are listening to this podcast right now, I have not listened to our episode in a while so i don't remember verbatim what gabe said but um, <laughs> neither do i <laughs> but i remember him saying something along the lines of it seemed to be broken up into segments and they keep drifting away and coming back together which is true that happens but when i was watching it it seemed a lot more cohesive instead of segmented i, I know i know what you mean it flowed 
the story flowed, which oftentimes in a PTA movie, it doesn't flow as much as I would like it to. And this was actually just like a really fun, well-written, well-executed movie that took place in the seventies about sort of like a young love. And, love. and it was just, it was just enchanting the whole of it. Yeah. Yes. That's the perfect word for it. I just loved it. It aspects of it reminded me a lot of other movies I've seen where that have the same sort of feeling and capture that same sort of feeling. Did you ever think of once upon a time in Hollywood? A little bit. There are very few films that have captured that feeling for me and executed it well in sort of an adult way, I suppose, while being able to capture that feeling of being in love while you're young or having those feelings. And I think that's the thing I loved so much about it. Yeah. And the characters were just so compelling. And the chemistry between the two leads was so good. I couldn't get past it. Like every time they were on screen together, I was just like, these two people just need to be near each other. It's, it's wild. And it was magnetic. I think Paul Thomas Anderson really outdid himself here. And I am shocked as anyone that I'm saying those words, but I, cause this was the last film I had watched in the, the run of best picture nominations. I didn't think it had a chance. And now I'm like, yeah, I could take it. Sure. I could take it easily. Yeah. A lot of the films this year could take it. And uh, this is just another one. There's a few that shouldn't. There's a few that shouldn't. But but <laughs> is li- this top half? but licorice pizza isn't one of them. I don't know. It's it's definitely in the top six or seven of ten. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. It, it's, hot, it's above Coda. It's <laughs> it's everything's wow. everything's above Coda. It's a tough tough choice. Would this go in your top ten of the year? Now that you've seen it, if I was going purely off of feeling and not technical proficiency <laughs> i might bump out the eight spot of macbeth move everything up one from there and then i put luggage pizza at number 10 it is hard to divide personal subjective feeling yeah for like objective quality yeah or like you know some of its parts because i would agree licorice pizza was was just so enchanting and it was so well done in all those ways the chemistry was amazing filmmaking was incredible only watching there will be blood have i ever been like oh i want to watch this again sometime in my life licorice pizza i could imagine watching i don't know once every six years ish revisiting it again yeah because it's just it's a really good movie i really liked it i wish i had more words to explain but I don't. I don't think you need more. I think that's all that PTA was trying to evoke was that that exact sentiment that you're trying to describe. And I think that's why it all ultimately doesn't rank that highly for me on his list, just because I'm not looking for that that whimsical, starry-eyed, semi-nostalgic enchantment. I want the gritty drama that PTA has shown that he can master. You know, that dirty, grimy, like nut kicker sack tapper (laughs) film wow and uh i don't know that's just where i'm at in life though so maybe in a few years i'll revisit it and i'll be like yeah this is now my favorite movie because i think that's the magic of pta and he's shown his his uh what depth and range as a filmmaker is that he can do pretty much anything he wants and do it well i dug it glad you liked it more people should see it I i don't remember seeing how it did at the box office but it uh I hope it did well. Yeah, that that's another thing. The whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, 
I can't believe I'm watching Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid. Yeah. And I was thinking the whole time while I was watching it, I wonder like what he was feeling while making this. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I could Google that, but what a legacy. Philip Seymour Hoffman, man, that guy had something special. It'd be really interesting to see Cooper Hoffman do more films or more acting work. I hope he does. I thought he was great. I, yeah. lo- I loved him a lot, honestly. Mm-hmm. I hope he does too. <laughs> He could easily carry that torch. He could be PTA's next muse, like father, like son. Yeah. Go see it. Yeah. Check it out. Check a look. It's on. It might be in theaters. Gabe hated it. I loved it. I didn't hate it. <laughs> it, was in, it was fine. 